0: Hello and welcome to this special series of episodes called 29 Days of Magic. During Black History Month, the month of February, I'll be interviewing a Black woman a day who's from business and entrepreneurship, you name it, I'm going to have a chat with her. The idea for this is to show off the amazingness of Black women throughout various industries. I hope you take a listen, like, share, review, and be inspired by these incredible stories. Take a listen. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Bayside Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Munio, CEO of the Cultural Communications Agency, D Flash. Each episode I bring on a different business leader who's doing some game-changing work. And I'm so excited to have Nekpan Oswan Wilson, who's a management consultant uh, and the CEO of Women Work. It's going to be a great conversation. Uh, take a listen. Hey Nekpan, how are you? Hi, Laura, I'm doing well. How are you? i am staring at the snow outside and wishing it would all go away goodness (laughs) i am with you (laughs) i am so glad i went grocery shopping earlier in the week before the snow hit. yeah Uh, it's like it's a a thing like like, well you know there's not really snow days anymore because we're already home so it's like oh
1: (laughs) so it's not quite as nice right
0: no. like you're not actually <laughs> so gonna like oh I wasn't gonna go I was gonna wear sweatpants to work today so I'm sitting at my desk like oh I do that every day so
1: <laughs> if anything I'm not more distracted by the snow than I would usually have been during a snow day so it's <laughs> good
0: Totally understandable. <laughs> so even though we're stuck inside the side during this annoying snow day the podcast remains the same and the first question remains the same so Nathan, what was your first job
1: Oh my God, Laura, my first job, <laughs> you won't believe this, um, I was um, a, a, an RA in my undergraduate institution at Baylor University in oh, Central oh Texas.
0: Oh boy. Yeah. You saw so some I never, things.
1: <laughs> I saw a lot of things, and I was in an all-women's dorm, part of the Honors College, so it was a particularly unique uh, group of us, <laughs> women. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Um, a lot a lot of interesting uh learnings development um I was also like one of maybe two black women in the whole dorm and so oh my god things like using the restroom to do my hair for hours and um being able to go around at night with a bonnet had to really change just because I knew my fellow uh you know classmates would not quite understand it
0: <laughs> you, you knew your environment oh my god so oh, was for sorry. a year or was that for a semester I did
1: that for like... three years oh, uh, which is my interesting god.
0: right um
1: one it was really about I think serving community and growing as a leader I'll tell you there's nothing quite like being in a relational world like that um where you have to support people and sort of use your um, relationship influence to get stuff done, right? Um, and build community. So I think everything I learned as an organizer started there,
0: for sure. Wow. You also probably know how everyone's cycle gets to be the exact same date of It the is month real. Because you're all in the same place, because that was my- Laura. that is real. It is
1: real. <laughs> it is verified. I, I can tell you that's a real thing. People sync up when they live together,
0: certainly. It is the wildest thing. I just remember being like, "Anyone got champagne? Oh, well, everyone does because everyone's on their period, right at this particular moment. It's like, <laughs> "Oh my god!" Yeah, uh, and all of yeah. you out of your damn minds, and everyone's got PMS to like, <laughs> m- monstrous levels. Nothing like it. It prepared me for sorority life. I always tell
1: my um, my actual line sisters, like,
0: <laughs> "Prepare me for sorority life for sure." So, uh, <laughs> so like, you got you got you got all the information you would ever want out. Yeah, <laughs> I'm good. So, okay. So, you know, having led the girls of Baylor for three years to where you are now, what was that journey like?
1: Oh my gosh. So, I'm still really um, in love with living and doing life with women. As you know, I started women work about six years ago uh, out of a passion for the power of women, you know, the way we lead differently, the way we really value relationships uh, when making change. And women, I think, are really great at multitasking, as I've seen my whole life. So my journey between then and now has taken a couple of turns. But one of the things I wanted to highlight is just this idea that um, as a first-generation American, I have loved, thoroughly loved just learning how to be the other, but also finding so much power in my African ident- identity in mostly white spaces. Um, I founded Women Work for Women of Color in order to embrace that and to celebrate it and to reclaim our unique perspectives in the world. Um, and, you know, I'm happy to touch on a little bit more, but I will say this the highlight of that journey for me has been serving in the last year on the New York leadership team for both. You know, our now amazing Vice President Kamala Harris and the Biden Harris transition team. This idea again, that community is so powerful when we lean into it and we recognize the power of unity. We can make things much better than when we're divisive, for sure.
0: And it's just so in- in- incredibly true. So, you know, it's interesting. Like, so you founded women Work. Like, wh- what was that sort of moment that you decided? You know, what I need to do something to help yeah
1: totally I think that's a great question um one of the things that was a spark for me was the transition between graduate school and my first role in New York Um, I came to New York for my grad program at Columbia I got to know some amazing women while I was there and particularly for the women of color my network we felt we were kind of ill-prepared for some of the um meritless conversations that can happen when people are getting hired <laughs> things um. that are simply personal and informal connections over like actual performance or preparedness not to say that our colleagues you know who were also getting you know great roles and great offers were not intelligent I think it just seemed like for them it came a little easier and I wasn't quite <laughs> Yeah, And I wasn't sure if it was me or if maybe it was like a thing. And the more I started talking to other women, particularly women of color, who didn't have you know, friends and family in high places, nobody in my circle had any generational wealth to sort of spend a ton for, for visits to different offices on their own dime or to really hire someone to, to train them in their interview process. We started noticing how structurally it was not the same playing field and we needed to galvanize our power by leaning into more mentorship and sponsorship in our networks. So I wanted to provide that for all women in all sectors. I didn't want it to just be just for women in business. I thought it was important to, at that point, take my own unique experience and those that were shared with me and and lean into what that gap could be. And I think that over the last six years, I've observed that people want to maybe do better at relational building and power building, but they need a a forum. And that's what women work is. They need a forum and invitation. They maybe need someone else to create the room and the space. And it makes it that much easier for women to be collaborative and to think more strategically about our power. And that's what women work offers. And so it's been really fun to be learning and growing as a nonprofit leader on how to create those programs and those spaces.
0: Awesome. And, you know, it's funny, like you, 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 gently glossed over like some of the differences of what it's like for us oftentimes when we're going through these these uh, these positions. But I do think, you know, in the spirit of helping people understand that like, it's just weird. <laughs> like you will get asked ridiculous questions versus your white counterparts who won't. And it puts you in these kind of odd positions. Like how, how are you able to navigate that?
1: Yeah, I think that one of the things that um i have able to share with my mentees now about interviewing and building connections with people um, is just this awareness that everyone operates with some level of bias, if we're honest. Um, I think that for white men in particularly who typically hold leadership in the spaces that I'm operating in, they've been used to um, sort of building relationships easily and welcoming other men into their spaces easily. I think in a post Me Too role in particular, I always challenge my mentees to learn more about the person they're trying to build power with in the leadership role and less so much about the different spaces, if that makes sense, right? It's easy to lean into to, to the discomfort of being very different from everyone else. I've Force myself and I try to encourage others that there's a lot of win wins in certain ways. So, for for me, that's I like sports. I grew up playing sports year round as a kid. So, I will lean into a conversation about sports with a white man really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, You know what I mean? Just to find that commonality. And I think then you'd be into a lot of space to be able to have difficult conversations. I was on a conference, um, you know, Zoom last night talking about Black professionalism and building Black power in the workplace and i started to just realize a lot of white people just don't know a person of color really intimately it's at just all. like not a thing there's it's there's, just there's thing. still segregation yeah and there's some communities that are really you know integrated and really collaborative and i think in our generation i'm really excited about like interracial relationships because i think that'll potentially shift things it's not going to do away with you know racism it's not going to do away with the white supremacy culture that we live in at all but I think at that point, you start to realize how much people are similar and less so that we're different. Because that's the thing that I think keeps White, men in particular, are particularly fearful is this idea of like otherness being a scary thing and not leaning into those win-win. So we have to do a little bit of the work to like communicate that. Like, I also would like to be a, a senior vice president or a C-suite holder one day. I also would like to grow this business. I'm here for the same, you know, amazing reasons you're here. There's more. That we have in common than what sets us apart and that's the work i think day in and day out for us
0: yeah i mean i think sometimes i i hear these conversations and it's as if white men and sometimes white women are as if it, this is like brain surgery for you where <laughs> this literally is not it's hey yeah. you like alcohol i like alcohol you wanna go for a drink sure or you like yeah. money, I like money. Let's be <laughs> capitalists together. Yeah, and I, yeah. I oftentimes like maybe it's more of like helping people understand that we're all just people. And if you happen to engage us, make a friend. I yeah. mean, I, yeah. I'm always I always make this joke that like literally I, I only want to help people who I want to drink with, because <laughs> <Like, laughs> guess what ends up happening? They end up becoming my clients. So I end up becoming their clients. Right. So we right, end up helping right. each other, and like, hey, let's team up and right. do something here. Like, but my best clients are the folks who, like, I met in certain business professional settings, and we had a rapport, and this started a conversation. And ninety nine percent of them are white. Are white men. So, like, this right. isn't brain surgery. Um, you can bond yeah. over. You can bond over your shared love of capitalism. <laughs> and so, Certainly. for you, and for you at Women Work, what like sort of what are the kind of key pillars? Because obviously, we want to promote the heck out of Women Work, so we can get more <laughs> amazing women to come join.
1: Yeah, Laura, thank you for the opportunity. Um, our key pillars are three areas that we see gender. Um, equity really uh, needing to be uh, dismantled. One is around systemic barriers. So systemic barriers looks like uh, the pay equity gap, where people are allowed to pay a woman of color less than their white counterpart, who's in the same role, responsible for the same outcomes, and performing, I would say, at or more credentialized than their white professional counterparts, right? Um, I think that that for me is the huge injustice. And at Women Work, we're obsessed with the pay gap. We were recently part of the New York City uh, Commission on Gender Equity Study to provide testimony about research we've done, um, interviews we've conducted with women of color and their experience negotiating for equitable salaries, the research and trainings that Women Work has offered around salary negotiation every fall. And in that work, We're really optimistic that lawmakers who have already signed laws like the Lilly Ledbetter Act and New York City, the Paycheck Equity Act, we are optimistic that people will start to enforce these laws by requiring that companies start to collect their data, maybe not publish it publicly, but really start to look at structural bias because negotiation is so subjective in most companies. Um, I know in the government and public sector, they're typically more transparent, but even there, you start to see promotion differences along race and gender. So for us, this pay inequity has so much impact on families, particularly families that are led by women and families that depend on mothers earning a fair wage. Um, That's a big issue for us. Uh, We've partnered with South by Southwest in the past. Um, At the 2019 Conference for Women's Day Programming, inviting the EEOC Commissioner, Charlotte Burroughs, um, to join us in this conversation uh, from a legal perspective. And so that's one area that I will die on a hill (laughs) for the rest of my career. And so this is fixed. (laughs) We need to fix it. It's ridiculous. Um, Another area is just civic engagement. We're really passionate about women taking that step of civic engagement to either run for a local seat, uh, run for a state you know, elected position, regardless of party, and get more representation in federal appointments and in federal positions. Um, When more women are leaders in spaces, I think we start to normalize the way women lead and start to think of women as leaders first, not the default of men in most archetypes. Um, And we do that through partnerships with Vote Run Lead and an organization called Every Woman Vote. So, Those are like some of the things that we enjoy doing to empower women civically. And then the final topic for us is just this network effect. We strongly believe that women work, that the power of your network is critical to your potential. Um, So we're always hosting, you know, virtual and in-person networking events, highlighting great speakers who have accomplished a lot in their career to share how they did it. And then building those relationships through, you know, connecting women one-on-one. And one of the things that I consistently hear back in the feedback from people who attend our events is this idea of being challenged to do more than what they thought they could do before the event, right? which is the power of the network. If you see someone else doing something, you start to ask yourself, how can I do that as well? And if you're struggling, you start to find a place to make requests of others to join you in your journey and to help you and support you and educate you.
0: Um, These are all the things we stand for and I, I get excited to do this work every day. So awesome and so necessary. I think we don't talk about how much we make enough. It's still this weird paternalistic foolishness mm-hmm. about we can't say anything about this. Um, and I think it's you know the only the only way this works is if you're sunlight and if we acknowledge it. Like okay, this is where we're at, and okay, you're at this, and we let's figure out how we can help you get to this uh As opposed that's to that's right, like, and and pay transparency community.
1: would totally change the world.
0: Yes, it totally. Would. I think pay transparency
1: would totally change the world we live in, in so many ways.
0: And it would give people, you know, this. I think there's a lot of honesty around that, where it's like, also, here's what else you can do if you're making two hundred thousand dollars a year. You can become an angel investor. Did you know that? Like, there's all this stuff that, like, because it's all so cl- closely kept to the vest, the opportunities for growth and for, you know, laying the groundwork for generational wealth, just doesn't happen because we have this sort of weird, I can't share anything with anybody, um, bucket. And you know, I, I hope that the work you guys are continuing to do to help them you know, rip open those doors of transparency.
1: Thank you so much. And I'm I'm so grateful for the series you're doing this month because I think it just further echoes the, the amazing light that, you know, women of color and Black women have to share on the world, right? Um, we have power. There's a lot that's wrong in the world we live in. There's a lot of inequity, a lot of barriers,
0: a lot of bias, but we have a lot of power as well. And that's, it's a very exciting time to be a woman. Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing time to be a Black woman. We're so excited to have Soho Works as the sponsor for the 29 Days of Magic campaign. You know, they're designed by Soho House and their workspace is to help creative thinkers, businesses small and large, connect, collaborate, and grow. And it's where I'm recording all the episodes of 29 Days of Magic. It's a safe, wonderful and collaborative experience. Uh, I'm currently in the Brooklyn location, but they have locations, one else in New York City, in the Meatpacking packing District, one in LA, five in the UK. And they give kind of, you know, that kind of home away from home feeling with all the tools, technology, equipment to help you do your best work. Uh, like I said, it's an amazing location, feels safe. I've you know, been able to meet some really awesome people, which you haven't been able to do a lot because of the fact of COVID. So it's been a wonderful experience being able to record here and help build community. So if you if you want to find out more information about it? Please go to sohoworks.com to get more information and tell them I sent you. And now back to the show. So, speaking of you no know, time to be a black woman, you talk about a time when you had a challenge, work or professional or personally, where you're like, I am never going to see this through? And then you did.
1: Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, other uh, than yesterday, <laughs> right? During the storm. <laughs> um, a time where I've definitely felt like, uh, I couldn't see the, the light at the end of the tunnel was, uh, I'll be honest when I worked, uh, for president Obama's campaign in 2012, um, wow. I had moved, yeah, I had moved my life to Tampa, Florida to become the data deputy for, uh, the Obama for America campaign. And, um, I did that when I was a little bit tired of the role I had here in New York, um, two, I just felt there was so much at stake for our country in his reelection. Um, so I moved to Tampa and started working um, at our campaign offices. I would, My job was really reporting to the national team, so I was not on calls with like Jim cena and David Axelrod to talk about like our data strategy. Um, and data in most campaigns is like a service part of the of the campaign. We touch on every single part of the campaign. We we report directly to a data a state director. We generate reports that go straight to leadership across the campaign. We support field operations, digital operations, political strategy, um, anything that has to do with a voter being contacted, we're getting information from all parts of the state. So that role um, was a huge responsibility. And I was, I think, less than 30 at that time. And I kind of... Um, I sort of knew what I was getting into because I had helped my congressman get reelected in Texas and I had done some political work in New York. But the pace of that role was like drinking water from a fire hose. And that was like every day. (laughs) I would like get up really early. I'm not a morning person, by the way. I would stay up really late. Yeah. (laughs) And I was just like on some sort of combination of like of a high and a fear of like, Messing up the re-election in the biggest, most diverse battleground state in the country. Um, and it was a great feeling because I started leaning into my nerdiness as a as a tech strategist, right, as a management consultant. That's what I do day in and day out. Um, it was so much fun learning how to digest and mine and query data and build predictive models and give recommendations to so many stakeholders. Um, that's where my consulting career first began. I'll be honest with you. I started realizing I love this stuff, this idea of consulting to different teams and giving recommendations and next steps. Um, and And that role just took a lot out of me. Like I literally, I think had maybe five days off and I would come back to New York to be part of an organization called New Leaders Council for our fellowship during that year and to see my then boyfriend. And so Apart from that, like there was not a lot of room to do anything else. I maybe would get a run in a couple of times a week to keep my sanity, <laughs> but <laughs> that was about um, it. That was about it. It was it. It was really stressful, but it was great. And I, and I will tell you, Laura, not only did we win and reelect elect the president, which was the best part of that opportunity. I have made lifelong friends that to this day, I'm still in touch with people who are doing great things in terms of change and impact. Almost all of us have started some organization of some form or another. We are still building the movement, you know, through the Democratic Party. And that work, um, I think, set the stage for the, the youth swamp of our party. Whereas in the past, power was really with older, richer voters, let's be honest. And so I, I think at that point, we were more progressive. We were younger in our representation of what it means to be a leader making big decisions on a campaign. And at at the time, I think President Obama's campaign was the first of its kind to use data and analytics in the way that it did, which is now the model for so many others who wanna get elected. So that was really cool. And it was, as I said, in the middle of it, I was like, I'm not gonna make it to election day.
0: <laughs> I'm not gonna <laughs> get like, I'm gonna die here. <laughs> I'm not gonna <laughs> see. The
1: fruit of my labor because I'm going to be burnt out. I'm going to like not be able to sustain my wellness. But I did, and looking back on it, I would not have taken a single day back. It was totally worth it.
0: Well, it's true. It's like when you're in it, you're like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And then you're out of it, you're like, oh, okay. I'm stronger than I thought I was. Yeah, exactly. That's really what, like what I learned. More resilience. You end up. Yes, shit. that's a thing. That's that's the thing I always. That's why I, I always ask this question because it's we we forget how resilient we are because we're just go 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 and then we take a moment to remark upon this the stuff that you've been through and you're like oh there's no way I've seen my way through this and then you and then you get through it and then a couple of years later you look back like oh okay yeah. and I grew so much
1: yeah I learned so much about myself about management about people like um I'm really glad that I survived it <laughs> Us too.
0: (laughs) And so kind of thinking on on a kind of a similar remark on minds, what do you think you'd tell 25-year-old you?
1: Oh my gosh. So that's a great question. 25-year-old me was a little bit um, obsessed with marriage in a way that if I'm honest with you, until I turned the curve until like 27, I was like, I don't really want that. Like, (laughs) why did I like obsess about this so much? Um, I'm Nigerian American. So culturally, you know, you start thinking about marriage after college, right? Because our our parents tell most Nigerian girls, like men don't exist up until you get your bachelor's. Sorry.
0: (laughs) Stay focused on your schoolwork you know I have heard sure that from my Nigerian friends yes this is yeah
1: <laughs> you know you know school is your job that's your priority you want to be educated you want to be able to set yourself up for success in life you know um you don't need to necessarily depend on anyone though it's partnership is a beautiful thing right like this balance of like building out yourself and your identity first and um you know when I turned 25 I, I was in a relationship, but I wasn't seeing it being my ultimate relationship. And I started panicking because I said to myself, like, culturally, again, am I going to age out? Am I ever going to find the right person? And I would tell my 25 year old self that everything works out in the way it's supposed to, whether you need to learn something, or you need to give time for something to become an awakening for you personally, like, don't be anxious. Um, and I think that level of you know, expectation, professionalism, and like trying to be the best at everything was really making me feel down. And um, particularly around like relationship and management of my time, like I was obsessing around, you know, either getting my partner to like me more or like navigating what I would do next. And it was just very unhealthy. Um, and I think I would have told myself to just relax because the person I ended up marrying is the perfect man for me. And we're both like past our 30s, but we both are much more mature than we were when we were 25. <laughs> so uh, it was a good thing. I would say that it took so long. Um, so yeah, I think one of the things that like, uh, I would also just say for any women who are listening to this, this idea of partnerhood, it's better to wait and find the right person than to be miserable. So many of my girlfriends marry right out of college, and like half of them are divorced. Not to say that that's the case for everyone. But this idea that most people actually do end up failing at marriage gives you cause to spend more time on yourself, right? And to spend more time reflecting on what you really value versus some of the cultural or normative things that you know, you were fed about who you are growing up.
0: Um, so very true. I I feel like when I I had gotten married when I which I almost kind of came close to when I was in my late twenties, mm-hmm. yeah, that would that would have gone that would have been a hellfire about three years later. <laughs> so, wow. Um, and so even though I'm single now, I, you know I'm I'm much better me, and I kind of know what this me needs. Versus, yes. uh, and I think that's a thing that we oftentimes don't realize. Like, no, you kind of have to grow into yourself. Yes, that takes time, and it it gives you it gives you a much better perspective on what you really want versus what you think what you think you're supposed to have, and that is oftentimes is a thing that gets people to make um, the wrong decision, and then they look around and like, oh crap, I should have done that. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly. You know, along those ways, it's like kind of to know yourself and understand yourself in the best ways possible. Obviously, this past year has been bananas. (laughs) Um, What are you doing for yourself care to navigate all this? Yeah, that's a, oh my gosh,
1: your questions are the best, Laura. My self care routine has ebbed and flowed, I'll be honest. Um, When the pandemic started last spring, uh, around March twenty twenty for my role, I, I, I don't know about you, Laura. I felt like it would be over in a matter of like a month or two.
0: Like <laughs> I, I thought,
1: thought no, <laughs> you did not think that okay at <laughs> that all. I was so optimistic. I was like, oh, like I get to spend more time at home. I'll get to try out this work from home thing for a while. I was very excited. So my mood was totally fine for the first like three months, and then like it didn't end. Um, we went into, in New York in particular, a time where something like 800 plus people were dying a day um, from COVID and hospitalizations were were well over a thousand um, unseen for anything I'd ever experienced in my lifetime. So I started getting a lot of anxiety around that and the fear of contracting COVID. Of course, we were staying in and we were not, We were socially distanced, not going out. Um, We were even on lockdown in our state, which I I actually am grateful to the governor for because I I have friends in other states where there's not been any lockdown restrictions and the spread is just crazy right now. Um, We learned the hard way in New York and I'm really grateful for Governor Cuomo's leadership. The thing that hit me in terms of my wellness the most was just starting to realize how I was missing people in the office and missing my team as an extrovert, not seeing people felt very um i wouldn't say miserable but close to misery <laughs> if i could imagine it and um i started having to like talk more to my husband and my therapist about like what that meant for me and what was i going to need to do in terms of my activity to boost my mood um so for me my self care routine now on the other end of that really like challenging time includes being more active in the morning. As I mentioned, I'm not a morning person. So my habit is to stay in until I have a, to have a meeting. And I stopped doing that. I now get up, I go for a walk, I go for a run, I go to the gym, I make like meal prep for the day. You know, um, I have to do something in the morning. And I have really also focused further on my prayer time and my meditation time in the morning, which prior to COVID, um, I was sort of spotty with, right? And that centering in the morning and also that movement in the morning helps me come alive and my mood is so much better for the rest of the day. Um we've also gotten into the habit of zooming with people we love the most instead of just texting and you know doing one off calls so we can see people and like feel as close as possible. So sometimes the virtual happy hour is really the highlight of my week, which will sound cheesy to some, but um you know I I really depend on that. And so um, I'm just trying to be more attentive to myself and then also attentive to my family members. A lot of people in our family are older. Um, um, we have healthcare workers on both sides of our family. And so checking in on them, sending them care packages has also been a really good way of self-care just to show more love and be an expression of my love of people. Um, I didn't realize I was missing that. And so recognizing it and, and changing my habits has really been really good.
0: That's so good. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I assumed we, we would be stuck here for a year once this, wow. so I was like, mm. well, cause I'm in the events business. And so I was like, okay, this is a matter of trust. And are you going to trust somebody to go to an event where you could get sick and kill your mom? Or yeah. Your kid? And like,
1: you don't, and you know, a lot of people are kind of different with their Ability to be cautious, right? Which you've recognized. I didn't recognize that. I didn't, I didn't realize putting on a mask would be so controversial this year, Laura, or last year, Laura. I was like, what? <laughs> what is going on in this country? Just little things like that.
0: <laughs> what? Yeah, I just, yeah, because again, I work in events and I, I deal with crazy people on a daily basis. So I'm like, people <laughs> have to comply. And people are just not going to, and there are going to be people who won't comply. And there'll be people who are like, I am not risking this because people are stupid. Yeah. And so I was like, oh boy, this is going to be weird. And, you know, yeah, it went all over the place and Certainly. and everyone kind of had to find their kind of tribe and their group and then those tribes and groups you know definitely evolved over time like I remember doing a bunch of zoom happy hours at the beginning and then I was like if you make me do a zoom happy hour one more time
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I came on to the happy hours later in the game
0: <laughs> yeah because like you know it's you or you reconnect with folks but like it is like finding your peace throughout this is necessary because I think, you know, people seem to forget that we're living through a pandemic. It is not normal. It's not regular working from home. Like Mm -hmm. I'm working from home because I cannot go to my office. Um, I cannot travel and get on a plane. And like, you know, I want to go to Miami this weekend. I can't do that. Like like COVID test, where are you staying? Can you do this? Can you do that? And and those are things we just never took. We, We took for granted previously. And I think, you know, when we do come back, um, I think there's going to be a lot more recoll- reflection on how we interact with each other. And I hope that it leads to a whole new kindness because we've all collectively been through something so traumatic together.
1: Yeah, totally. I think that that's something I'm hopeful to as well. We'll see he- each other as more human and be kinder, more gentle with one another and even in our workplaces.
0: Just maybe, just this time. Just maybe. <laughs> just maybe. Um <laughs> And so a question for you. So like obviously you got to work on the on the campaign a little bit for our brand new vice president and president. What was yeah. that like? It's sort of being part of a kind of really amazing and just joyous, transformative moment.
1: Um, it was great. I think to be perfectly transparent, it was um it was a lot of um joy, but also a lot of unexpected low points, I'll be honest with you. Um when um, Senator Harris announced, or then Senator Harris, I should say, announced, um, I was on board for her to become our primary nominee. And I love the Bidens, um, obviously, having worked for you know the Obama campaign, I know that Joe Biden's a great leader. I just felt it was time for our country to experience something different um, in a way that was not like a Trump different, if that makes sense,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, uh, a more kinder, gentler, empathetic, thoughtful, um, you know, justice oriented type of difference. And I know that there's criticism of uh, Kamala Harris's record from California, but through and through overall, it is clear to me that she is that voice that the American people can count on if things, ever got gray about what right and wrong was um obviously for the last four years I never felt that in the White House and so it was just an amazingly important and inspiring for me to get involved early when she uh, decided to drop out I cried and then got onto the uh, the Biden um team after the South Carolina primary I think another kind of potential uh sort of low point for me was just recognizing how split the party was um it I don't know if you remember at that time around the South Carolina primary which was the pivotal point that saved Biden's campaign right (laughs) yeah and guess what it was a bunch of black people in South Carolina that saved him to be clear um including Clyburn uh our now majority whip so one of the things that like I got really discouraged by it was just this idea that like clearly joe's great as a narrative instead of saying clearly organizing works which is what i would have hoped for so that people can double down on local impact in politics i think that for the rest of the campaign up until kamala harris was announced as vp it just kind of felt a little strange to not be campaigning in an environment that we're used to which is like knocking doors being visible in front of people being able to do campaign fundraisers with my friends in person, everything we did was, you know, remote, socially distanced, and just a very different campaign cycle than any other. And so I missed that energy, but was still obviously committed to this idea that we could not allow Trump to win. Fast forward to November, uh, excuse me. Fast forward to the end of summer, in August, when Kamala Harris was announced as, um, you know, the vice presidential choice it was clear to me that this would be a history-making team. Um, I kind of doubled down on my love for Joe Biden after that. And Mm -hmm. um, I remember this because my husband and I were doing our mini moon after we had gotten married um, that weekend. And that's when they made the announcement. I'll never forget it. I was yelling in the middle of upstate New York in a forest. So loud. As
0: one does. Um,
1: (laughs) And my husband was like, "You're gonna bring a bear over here!" I could not stop yelling. I, I mean, it was like, let's cut this trip a day short. I need to go back to the city and start reorganizing. It was just like a fire was under me. But then the, after that fire was my, you know, another low point. Unfortunately, was just seeing the election results on November third. I don't know about you, but seeing how close it was it was really discouraging. Um, <laughs> in my mind, after four years of Trump, like. I thought we would have been different, but then you know we we see that we won. But January had the crazy attacks on the Capitol, and I was just reminded of how much more work we have to do. And and that's really where it ends for me. This idea that I think both you know obviously um, President Biden and Vice President Harris know that there's a lot of work to be done to repair this country, not just because of COVID, not just because of the economic downturn that's disproportionately impacting women but also because there's a lot of people out there who are just not um, of the same mind that everyone deserves to be in this country. Everyone needs to be um, equitably respected and that everyone has a vote that matters. I mean, let's be honest, They there's certain people who just want their party to win. And that's crazy to me. I don't think Democrats would ever say something like that, <laughs> let alone no. you know charge the Capitol <laughs> to, to prove that point. Crazy. And so that was, you know, the, the cycle of this year and last for me. Um, it's a journey. I'm so excited to see what the first 100 days will bring. I think the work done so far is a great indication that we finally have a leader and, and commander in chief who gets it and is going to the, put the people first, not the
0: politics. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm so excited uh, that we have science back in the White House because, uh, <laughs> totally. you know, pandemic is necessary necessary requirement is science um and we also have empathy and just but also sheer joy I think the thing I I love about our wonderful new vice president is that you know I think many times in business oftentimes we're told why are you, you're not supposed to smile
1: yeah like you're yeah, or have be joy success. right like this seriousness don't, it. yeah it gives you
0: stone cold face and like mm-hmm. um and not and not have joy for what you're doing and not have happiness like that's the only way you can be if you're an icy cold bitch and mm-hmm. she is now the second most powerful woman well, she's the most powerful woman in america and she's most um second and highest most powerful person in the country um and she does it with joy and laughter and uh, and when she's serious, you know, her looks will cut a bitch, <laughs> so yep. like, mm-hmm. like it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't discount that. So I hope that that's a thing that a lot of young women especially see that like, you don't have to renounce the like, the fun and good parts of who you are to be right. successful. You can still be a nice, good person who likes a good laugh. Um, and, but also be serious when you need to be like you, that. There is nuance there, and you can you can actually use it. Um, yeah. So I'm excited for what the future holds for them all.
1: Me too. And, so and can I well. tell you one more thing? That was a highlight Go for,
0: for me in terms of the
1: transformation. I think, um you know, as I mentioned earlier, I I'm an AKA and oh our boy. sorority. <laughs> I think. <laughs> sorry, I'm gonna take this moment. Go
0: for it. <laughs>
1: um, our sorority was, you know, instrumental in her win. I mean, not only in organizing you know, Black women, because we are the backbone of the Democratic Party, let's be honest, Black women are the most reliable voting base, we give the most, we volunteer the most, right? And so being able to show that through her election, and galvanize, you know, all AKAs, all Divine Nine organizations, if I'm honest with you, in terms of the the political and the social and, and the financial capital we have, was really beautiful to watch. I think that this was the first time we had had such a candidate who, I think, Obama was inspiring in terms of hope and change and pushing barriers of what we thought was possible for black leadership. But I think uh, Kamala Harris does a lot of community building in her interactions with black communities. She's she's present. She's she's very persuasive. Um, she knows her stuff, but she, like you said, has the joy and the um, camaraderie and the sense of community that I think we maybe might not have had a chance to see because Obama had to be perfect for white mm-hmm. people <laughs> in, in his, his tenure. Uh, she, she leads differently and it's beautiful. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, I think that's a, fun, a really awesome part about it is that like, she does not give a damn if she's wearing her chucks or she's wearing her Timbs or whether she's wearing her heels or a Moss coat. Like, yes. like, and I think you know that's a, a new sensibility that I get, especially for black women that you don't often see. Because again, we have to be perfect. Right, like, n- n- you know, straight hair, perfect, quaffed and nary a move out of place, and she's just like, yeah, no, that's not what we're gonna do here. I'm gonna do my little happy dance in the rain. I'm not gonna get, not gonna get my hair wet. I'll just happy <laughs> dance in the rain because, you know, still, yeah, still black on it. But, yep. um, but I think you know, it is, it is refreshing. It's just, I think the level, I, it's been so toxic and gross for four years. Mm-hmm. and so it's it's such like a great palette cleanser is to kind of see the the joy that comes from her and then she has a husband who loves her which i think is a whole other conversation around like you know loving black women yes. and letting them shine and, yes. and what that means and not having like her.
1: threatened by that or somehow trying to force a small you know female narrative um at all which is beautiful so beautiful yeah
0: uh it's it's a delight to see it's a live question for you do you have Mm -hmm. a give and or an ask of the audience so this can be anything from here's a great book i read or um i wish for everyone to take some time and meditate it can be anything you want
1: and you can do one or
0: both okay sure um i have
1: um a give and an ask so my give for your community is um that for the first time, we're offering free membership for Women Work. Um, So if you go to womenwork.com, you'll see on our homepage on the landing site, the opportunity to join our community for free for the first time, and to receive our monthly newsletter of events and opportunities. I think that, you know, any woman that's listening to this call, if you're not already actively part of a, a community and a tribe of women, Women Work is a great place to start. And if you are, Add us to your amazing (laughs) Rolodex of communities as well, because this is an amazing time to really lean on each other and grow stronger together. So we're offering that now at womenwork.com. So that's women, plural, work with an E. Uh, My ask is that everyone on the call, um, please, 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 um, if you haven't done so already, please encourage your local elected officials to support the United Nations. Um, I serve as ambassador for sustainable development goal number five, empowering women and girls and calling for greater gender equity. And in the last four years, the Trump administration has really dismantled our international relationships in a way that makes the UN particularly vulnerable, not only from a funding perspective, but also from um, a trusted and verified community that we need globally. And I think it's a, it's one of the threats that we don't talk about enough um, as Americans to understand the the importance of allyship across the globe. So if you haven't, you know, spoken to someone who's an elected or maybe gone to the United Nations Association website in a really long time to learn more about what the UN is up to, what we're doing. One of the things I spend my time is organizing and advocating for more Americans to really, understand what the U.N. does. It's an important role across the globe. And also um, the important role of us as civil society to get people who are in power to fund and support the U.N. and continue to have us be the moral leaders that we are through action, not just words alone. So that's a, an ask that I would um, extend to everyone. I appreciate it in advance.
0: Awesome. And we'll put all that information in the show notes for Women Work, but also for the United Nations. Because you're right. I mean, so much damage has been done. <laughs> oh like my gosh. Global yes. On a global scale, that it's literally like cleaning up on aisle six times 75,000. <laughs> uh, and yep. uh, educating women and girls is so very important around the world. Because when women are be- rise up, the better it is for everyone. Um, we yes. all, every study on earth can tell you that. Yes. So, um, we're ha- I'm happy to share that information with the audience. Uh, again, it's been such a delight having you on the show. I mean, you're just wonderful and full of great energy and have a phenomenal stories. Thank you so very much.
1: Thanks for having me, Laura.
0: I really appreciate it. Awesome. And that is a show.